Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warmer, friendly, and welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Sharky Waters Nation is going to be joining me. He delivered some great stuff about two weeks ago on this podcast. So we're going to have him back. We're going to be talking about just totals in general because prior to yesterday, we had seen that unders had been doing quite well ever since he cracked down on sticky substances. And then yesterday... We wound up seeing just a calamity of games in which you saw a whole bunch of overs. So we're going to be having that chat in the second segment. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday. And a little something I like to call touch them all first things first. Always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. If you got one or two ways, we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM may mean does not matter. Other ways, find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you, to get in one today, so let's dive in. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. I had a couple people ask me about this with the Colorado Rockies currently being at home. They noticed that their run line laying a run and half with them was a smaller plus price 
than for many of the other run lines on the board, even though they were a relatively decent-sized favorite against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And the question was, why is this? And the big reason why is because the run line is completely independent of the money line. With the run line, you have to win by one and a half runs. If you're laying the run and a half, if you're getting a run and a half, it means that the team that you're betting on, they can lose by one run. And when you get high totals out there in Coors Field, when they're approaching 11-12, you're going to have a run line price that isn't necessarily as big if you're laying the run and F as you get if you're, say, playing this Atlanta Braves versus New York Mets game that we're going to be seeing today because you've got a total there of six. With a total of six, much easier to have a one-run game rather than in a game in which a total is like 11 out there in Colorado. We saw that in the Kansas City Royals versus the Boston Red Sox game. The Red Sox closed right around like minus 140-ish on the money line yesterday, but they were right around plus 115, plus 120, a couple straight plus 125 on the run line, so it was a little bit less juicy there. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at that Brewers versus Cubs game, Brewers were between plus 125, even as high as a plus 135 on the run line, despite the fact that they were more like a minus 145, minus 155-ish favorite. And it's just the big thing is the likelihood that the game is going to be following on one. So if the margin of victory slash defeat is, say, 3-2, to two, obviously if you take the run and half, you wind up winning. The likelihood of that happening is how they wind up pricing the run line, whereas the money line is just be able to win outright. So hopefully that makes sense for you. Typically higher totals are going to lead to less of a plus price if you wind up playing the run and half, or if it's a big giant money line, like say the Colorado Rockies are like a $2 underdog or something like that, you're going to be laying more juice to lay that run and half than if you would in say the Mets versus the Atlanta Braves game that we're having today with a total of six. So hopefully that clears it up for you. Always appreciate those questions. Now let's take a look back at what was a very high scoring game out there in Major League Baseball on Wednesday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The Milwaukee Brewers got down 7-0 against the Chicago Cubs and then rattled off 15 unanswered runs, pretty much all of which were in the first four innings aside from one straggler, one in the sixth, to win 15-7. This is one of the most insane first four innings of a game I've ever seen in my life. Jake Arrieta, things did not go well for him. He got five outs, he gave up six runs out, only three of which were earned, but that was due to his own fielding error, which I don't understand why he still gets unearned runs for those. If you're the pitcher, you make an error, those should be on you. That's a discussion for the, another day. Keegan Thompson was able to get the team out of the second, and then Rex Brothers comes in, and oh, brothers, he gives up three runs while recording four outs. Tommy Nance, he got five outs, he gave up five runs. You wind up having from there one run, and then I didn't get a bit up by Adam Morgan, and hey, Brad Weak and Eric Sogard. It's Eric Sogard. Pitched for the second time this series. Both gave the Cubs a scoreless inning and for the Cubs themselves. They get seven runs in the first inning as it was the first career start for Aaron Ashby and congratulations on having a 54 ERA. Two-thirds of an inning. He gives up all seven runs, only four of which were earned. He was hurt by Willie Adams there. And then the Brewers bullpen gives eight and a third inning scoreless. You wind up having one Miguel de Sanchez giving you two and a third innings out of the bullpen. Trevor Richards under Strickland. Two scoreless innings apiece for those two gentlemen, Brent Suter and Jake Cousins. We're both able to give you a scoreless inning and for the Brewers, a trio of home runs in this one. Luis Arias, ninth and 10th home runs of the season. William Adams, his 12th. So, 
That was a very interesting result, to say the least. The Washington Nationals put up a 15 spot on the Tampa Bay Rays. 15-6, to the final of this one for Drew Rasmussen. He was the opener, gives up two runs in, two innings, and then Ryan Sheriff comes in from there. He got one up. He gave up four runs, all of which were in Michael Waka. We get to use the dying Pac-Man voice for him because he was more like Waka, 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 Waka. Gives up five runs in three innings. Andrew Kittrich was able to give you two outs out of the bullpen without giving up a run. J.P. Fireisen gave you a score of setting, but Pete Fairbanks, he got one out. Then he gave up four runs, all of which were earned. Diego Castillo got the final two outs. And for the Braves, they were able to get a pair of home runs. Yandy Diaz, his third home run the season off of John Lester. Mike Zanino gets his 18th of the campaign. Also off of Lester, did not have a great start himself. Did give the team five innings, but he gave up five runs along the way. You wind up getting two scoreless innings out of Andres Machado. So he was able to come into his part. Ryan Harper gave you a scoreless setting. Kyle McGowan, pair of outs out of the bullpen, and it was Kyle Lobstein who winds up giving up a run while recording one out, but for the Washington Nationals, you wind up getting a trio of homers, and none of them came off the bat of Kyle Schwarber. Trey Turner down for what? His 14th home run of the year. Jody Mercer is first. And then you wind up getting the third home run of the season for Starlin Castro. For the Atlanta Braves, they too were able to bust out the bats. 20-2, they take down the New York Metropolitans. For David Peterson, I'm glad that he's not related to me. Gives up six runs, five of which were earned over the course of three innings, giving up one home run along the way. Sean Reed fully did worse, so he follows up. He gets one out, gives up five runs, four of which were earned. He was hurt by his own fielding error. From there, you wind up having three and two-thirds innings out of Thomas Zapuki, as he did not wind up giving a good outing in this one, giving up two home runs, six total runs in three and two-thirds innings, and then Albert Armour Jr., position player, winds up finishing things off. He gives up three runs in an inning, and for the Mets, good news is they got a home run off the bat of Peter Alonso. 13th home run the campaign. That comes off of Max Fried. He gives up both of his earned runs, two of them in total, over the course of five innings in the first. And then from there, Jesse Chavez, two scoreless innings. Josh Shalman, a scoreless inning. And Edgar Santana gives you a scoreless inning. And for the Atlanta Braves, Ozzy Albies. Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. Oi, oi, oi. Two home runs. 14th and 15th of the season. Ronald Acuna Jr. is 22nd. And a huge Adrianza was able to get his fourth home run of the season. The Baltimore Orioles completed a sweep of the Houston Astros. The Orioles have two road sweeps this year against the Boston Red Sox and now the Houston Astros. 5-2 the final. Keep in mind, last week Baltimore was riding a 20-game losing streak on the road before they sapped that against the Blue Jays. But hey, Austin A's, a say A's kid. He's able to give his eighth home run the season. And Matt Harvey wasn't terrible in this one. That is a shocker as he lowered his ERA to a 7.34. Gives up two runs in four and a third innings. Bullpen from there really did their part. Paul Fry gives you four outside the bullpen, does not give up a run. Tanner Scott, Cole Solzer, one and two thirds innings apiece. They don't give up anything. And for Houston, Luis Garcia had been very good at home so far this year. He gives up all four runs over the course of four innings. Bullpen from there was actually solid. Christian Avier. Gets five outside the bullpen without giving up a run. You wind up having two and a third innings from Ryan Hartman, I believe in his MLB debut. He winds up giving up that solo run to Austin Ace and Brandon Belak was able to give you a scoreless inning, but for the Houston Astros, they just didn't get a lot generated on offense. Only five hits in this one. That was a little bit surprising, and if you wound up taking the Orioles on the money line in game one, you took them in game two, and then you took them once again in game three you probably made something like $2,500 if you want up starting out with 100 bucks, And I'm not even kidding when I say that. So that was actually a big moneymaker if you want up taking the underdog. There's been no money to be made on this underdog recently. The Arizona Diamondbacks. They are now 7-49. and 49. I was giving them a little bit too much credit because 
I thought that they were 7 and 45 in their last 52. Nope, it's 7 and 49 in their last 54 games. 7 to 4 the final they lose to the St. Louis Cardinals. This is just a broken team. Riley Smith was beginning the year as a starter, went to the bullpen. Now he's back to being a starter, and you can tell he's got no confidence whatsoever. Gives up four runs over the course of three innings, and that's like two-thirds of the years in Diamondbacks pitchers right now. Umberto Casianos from there comes out of the bullpen. Gives up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of two innings. I'll also be talking about the Arizona pitching situation with our good buddy Sharky Waters Nation, but... Ryan Buecher gives up a run in an inning. Joe Manapoli, Joaquin Soria both give you a scoreless inning, so yip de doo there. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they go 1 of 14 with men in scoring position because, of course, they do. They are the Arizona Diamondbacks. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, Kwon Young Kim did give up three walks, but he goes five innings, giving up one run. Now, you do wind up having Mr. Roel Ramirez come in out of the bullpen. He gets one out, he gives up three runs. He now has a 81 ERA for the year. That's not great, but Ryan Elsley was able to get the team out of the eighth inning. You wind up having John Gant come out of the bullpen. Two scoreless settings for the starter that was getting very lucky at the beginning of the year. And then Alex Reyes notches his 20th save of the season as he winds up being able to pitch a scoreless night and for the St. Louis Cardinals no home runs in this one but they go 5 of 15 with men in scoring position the Colorado Rockies were able to do a relatively solid job with men in scoring position as well as they sweep the Pittsburgh Pirates by kind of 6 of 2 for the Pirates they wind up scoring 2 runs in a series of scores that was 3 games so that's not great. C.J. Crone was able to get his 11th home run the year off of Chad Cool. That was great for the Rockies. And for John Gray, he gives up two runs in the first inning as being able to supply a home run. The loan of the series for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Brian Reynolds, his 14th home run of the year, settles in from there. Six innings gives up those two runs. You wind up having from there Cesar Estevez, Daniel Bart, Tyler Kinley all give you a scoreless inning. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Chad Cool, well, he wasn't cool. He gives up three runs in four and a third innings. From there, Chris Stratton and David Bernard both go an inning, giving up a run. You have Sam Howard come in for two-thirds of an inning, giving up a run. And then Jason Sharif was able to give you a scoreless inning. But for the Pirates, O of eight with men in scoring position. And you just take a look at this Pirates team. They are a bunch that they have scored two runs or fewer and now four out of their last five games. Not ideal, to say the least. This is also not ideal. The Philadelphia Phillies wound up having a nice 4-1 lead in their game against the Miami Marlins. They then allow the Miami Marlins to score eight straight runs, and they lose 11-6. For the Miami Marlins, a team that they had scored in their own right three runs or fewer, and I believe six out of their last eight games, they wind up absolutely erupting in this one. Adam Duvall, his 18th home run of the season. Joe Panic, new acquisition from the Blue Jays, his third home run of the season. And Jordan Allway, he got completely destroyed as a starter. Gives up five runs over the course of three innings, but bullpen was able to do their part. Anthony Bass gives up a run in an inning, but you wind up having John Curtis with two S's and Stephen O'Kurt combined for two scoreless innings. Zach Pop, Dylan Floro, Yimi Garcia. I'll give you a scoreless inning. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, Aaron Supernola was not super in this one. He gives up both home runs. He gets 11 strikeouts at four and two-thirds innings, but that does no good when you give up seven runs, all of which were earned. Neftali Felice, he raises his ERA to a 36. He gives up a run and only gets one out of the bullpen. Hector Neris gives up two runs, one of which was earned in an inning. His ERA is rapidly rising. Añel de los Santos, with his scoreless inning, drops his ERA to a 964. Connor Brogdon gives up a run in an inning, and then Archie Bradley, a scoreless inning as well. And for Bryce Harper, Good news is he wound up getting two home runs. He had been underachieving a little bit with regards to power this year. His 12th and 13th home runs of the season, but still a very strange result out there. This is not strange. The Boston Red Sox taking down the Kansas City Royals by a count of 6-2 for the Royals. Salvador Perez got his 19th home run of the season. That was really their lone form of offense as Mike Miner 
Once again, a major disappointment. Gives up five runs over the course of five innings. Bullpen from there was not bad. You wind up having Anthony Swarzak give up a run while getting four outs, and Richard Lovedale was able to give you five outs without giving up a run before the Boston Red Sox. J.D. Martinez, 16th home run of the season. Hunter Renfro is 12th, and for Martin Perez, he was able to rein it in with a nice start. Gives up two runs over the course of five and a third innings. Brandon Workman helped the team complete the sixth inning, and then Darwin Hernandez, Josh Taylor, Matt Barnes all give you scoreless innings, and the Boston Red Sox become the first team in the American League to be able to win 50 games. They wind up sweeping this series, and for the Boston Red Sox, all of a sudden, this is a team that is on a six-game win streak, so that was very nice for them. Not so nice for the Royals, though, who have now lost 19 out of their last 23 games, so they are in a little bit of a funk the Blue Jays are finding themselves now in a little bit of a funk as well. They wind up losing to the Seattle Mariners by kind of 9-7. And how the Seattle Mariners currently are three games above 500 with a 42-39 and record despite a negative 47 run differential, I don't think can be explained to me. But with the Seattle Mariners, they were able to get a trio of home runs in this one. Dylan Moore, his seventh home run this season. Mitch Anniger is 18th. Kyle Seager gets his 14th for Justice Sheffield. Not his best start, giving up four runs in four innings. It sounded like the bullpen was great. JT Chargois, along with Drew Second Rider, both gave up a run in an inning for Second Rider. It was an unearned run in the 10th. You have Anthony Bacevich and Kendall Graveman combined for three innings. Bacevich gives up one run in the process. Paul Seawald, he gives you a scoreless inning and for the Toronto, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays. They were able to get a home run of their own off the bat of Lawrence Guriel, his ninth of the season. Season, but they go 5-20 with men in scoring position and Steven Matz first start off the injured list and I typically like to fade guys coming off the injured list and this is why. He gives up four runs in two and two-thirds innings. That was not great. Trent Thornton from there. He winds up giving you four outs. He gives up two runs in the process. Anthony Kay does give you four scoreless innings. Jordan Romano gives you a scoreless inning but then you wind up having in the 10th inning Mr. Patrick Murphy come in and he gives up three runs two of which were earned in a third of an inning. Tyler Saucedo winds up having to come in and get the final two outs of the ball game. So the Seattle Mariners continue to somehow, some way, string wins together. Somehow, some way, the Detroit Tigers string together a sweep of the Cleveland Indians 9 to 4. Actually, I can explain to you how. The Indians had some terrible pitching in this one. Cal Quantrill in game number one. He gives up four runs in three and a third innings from there. Phil Maiden winds up cleaning up the fourth inning, but Ryan Shaw gives up a run in an inning out of the bullpen. Blake Parker, two runs in an inning, and you can have a ditto for that on Trevor Steven giving up two runs in an inning as the Detroit Tigers do not get a single home run in this game, but they generate 15 hits in a seven inning game and for the Cleveland Indians they wind up getting all their runs via solo home run. Bobby Bradley 7th and 8th home runs of the season. Jose Ramirez is 18th home run of the season and you wind up having Cesar Hernandez get his 12th as Jose Reina winds up giving up all four of those home runs in three and a third innings but the Detroit Tigers bullpen has actually not been terrible recently. Brian Garcia, Gregory Soto, a squirrel sending a piece, and Kyle Funkhauser, he brought the funk, got five outs out of the bullpen without giving up a run, and then in the second game, Tigers pitching was really able to rein it in. 7-1 the final. Willie Peralta in his third start since the year 2017, five scoreless innings, at least with regards to earned runs. He gave up one unearned run. He was hurt by a pair of errors, but he actually looked relatively solid. Jose Cicero, Joe Jimenez, it will give you scoreless settings from there. And then for the Detroit Tigers, you have Eric Koss getting his ninth run of the season off of starter Logan Allen. And then Nick Wickren, his bad season continues. He gives up his seventh. 
seventh of the campaign to Mr. Miguel Cabrera. And for Logan Allen, he gives up three runs, two of which were earned in three and two-thirds innings to Laura ZRA to an 8.38. Nick Sandlin, he winds up not giving up anything while recording one out of the bullpen, but Nick Wickern gives up a home run in an inning out of the bullpen. Emmanuel Clays, who entered into this game with a sub-1 ERA, gives up three runs, one of which was earned in an inning. James Karinczak was able to give you a scoreless inning as well. And if you're taking a look at the Cleveland Indians, I believe that this is a team in which each of their last five games have all been either overs or pushes, so it's been very fascinating to watch that, to say the least, as they have now given up at least five runs in four out of their last six games, and overall five out of their last seven. So Detroit Tigers actually starting to make you a little bit of money out there. You know who else is making you money? The LA Angels, as they wind up getting an absolutely putrid start out of Shoei Otani, but then an eruption in the ninth inning leads to a W. This one is just going final as I do this podcast, by the way. 11-8, to eight as this one looked like it was in the fire and it was burnt because it looked like this game was going to get rained out in the fifth, and that would have given the Yankees an official win going into this. I believe that the Yankees were like 99% to win the game going into the ninth, but for the Angels, they are able to be rescued thanks to a pair of Jared Walsh home runs. His 19th and 20th of the season. Phil Gosselin, he's able to get his start of the season. And for Shoei Itani, I mentioned that he didn't have a good start. Gives up seven runs in two-thirds of an inning. Aaron Slagers has to get the team out of the first inning out of the bullpen. And then from there, Alex Claudio, a scoreless inning. You wind up having Dylan Bundy come out of the bullpen after he wound up throwing up like two days ago on the mound. Two scoreless innings. Tony Watson, Steve Ciszek, goodbye for three scoreless. Mike Myers gives up a run in an inning. And Rossi Iglesias gives you a scoreless inning for the New York Yankees. Gosh, what a terrible beat. I mean, you do have Brett Gardner get a third home run in the season, and for Domingo Ramon, he did not wind up going long in this one. Gives up three runs in three innings. From there, you wind up getting a scoreless inning out of the bullpen from Justin Wilson. Luis Sessa gives up a run in an inning, but then Darren O'Day gives you a scoreless inning. Jonathan Luizaga goes two scoreless, and then Aroldis Chapman. Stop looking good right now. Gets one out, and he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And then from there, Lucas Lutiz, who has been reliable all year long, gives up three runs in two-thirds of an inning. This has got to be a low point for the Yankees this year. That is a terrible loss to take after it looked like the game was getting get rained out in the fifth. And, well, this was a terrible loss for the Minnesota Twins. It looked like they were building themselves up. 13-3, the Chicago White Sox wind up getting the W in this one. Bailey Ober got destroyed. Gives up five runs in three and a third innings, including three home runs. Matt Shoemaker was even worse, so Comes out of the bullpen for eight outs. He gives up eight runs, all of which were earned, including three home runs. Alex Calme gives you a scoreless inning. Same with Caleb Theobar. And for the Minnesota Twins, they did wind up getting a trail of home runs. Josh Donaldson, 13th home run of the season. His third in three games, so he might be cocky, but he's starting to perform a little bit more. Nelson Cruz is 18th home run of the season. And then you wind up getting the second home run of the year out of a gentleman that is not necessarily hitting so well in Gilberto Celestino. But for the Chicago White Sox, they were able to rein it in as Dylan Cease. Gives up two of those home runs over the course of six innings, so he was able to do his part. Garrett Crochet, a scoreless inning. He's been shaky recently, but that was a good sign. Jose Ruiz gives you a scoreless inning. Zach Birdie gives up a solo home run in the process. And then for the White Sox, Yasmani Grandal, 13th of 14th home runs of the season. You wind up having Brian Goodwin get his second home run of the year. You have Jose Abreu get his 13th of the campaign. Andrew Vaughn is able to get his 7th. And then Gavin Sheets gets his first home run of the season. So 
That was not good for the Minnesota Twins, and this was not good if you wanted to take in the over, which fortunately we did not. The New York Post later today was the under in Oakland A's versus the Texas Rangers, and well, this was one of the only games I wound up staying under all day. 3-1 to one the final. As for the Texas Rangers, Kobe Aller winds up giving up three runs in the second inning. Gave up three runs in total over the course of six innings, so not necessarily a bad start. He did wind up giving up a home run along the way. That was by Mr. Schwindel for his first home run of the year. Frank Schwindel and Joey Gallo, lone form of offense for the Texas Rangers. He goes deep again. I believe that that is his sixth home run in the last four games. He gets that in the ninth inning out of Jose Trevino for his 19th of the season before the Oakland A's. Chris Bassett continues to have you hook, line, and sinker. Seven scoreless innings. You have Mismero Petit. Gives you a scoreless inning out of the bullpen. Lou Trevino gives up one run and one inning. And for the Texas Rangers, Josh Shorbich, scoreless inning out of the bullpen. Taylor Earn, he also gives you a scoreless run out of the bullpen as well. And I will say this for the Texas Rangers, if you're taking a look at them, they have now given up four runs or fewer in each of their last five games, and now in six out of their last seven. So, pitching has been a little bit better for them, and we've got to take a look at what we are all getting in baseball right now, because over the last seven days, Going into yesterday, the unders had really been coming through. And over the last seven days, we've still seen quite a few unders. 43 unders to 37 overs. You've also seen favorites absolutely dominate. They are now at 59 and 30 over the last seven days. So that has been insane to see. And it's really what we've been seeing over the last 30 days. The last 30 days, favorites 250 and 143. That is about a 63.5% clip. The overs are at 193 and 181. So hitting a little bit above a 51.5% clip. And overall for the year, we are seeing overs have a slight advantage over unders, 576, 565. And for favorites, overall for the year, 694, 486 as about a 58.5% clip. And home team so far this year, 662, 530. They're hitting at about 55.5%. As we know, ballparks are getting a little bit more filled up in over the last 30 days. Home teams have been able to go 239 and 158 for a little bit over 60% win rate. So that's what we all saw in Major League Baseball yesterday. And that's what we're all seeing with regards to trends overall coming up next. It is that time that we bring on Sharky Waters Nation. Did a great job the last time he joined me on this podcast. We're going to be taking a look to what we're all going to be seeing in Major League Baseball on Thursday. Get his thoughts on that. And the outburst of runs that we wound up seeing yesterday. Keep in mind, we are going to talk about the Yankees game. This was before we wound up seeing just an absolute calamity in the ninth inning. So I do want to make that clear. And I'm going to make it clear to you that it is going to be worth a listen. That is on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Craig Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. Everybody here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Great to be joined by our guest. He joined me about a week and a half, two weeks ago, somewhere in that neighborhood. And Guy really brought it, so we are bringing him back. It is Sharky Waters Nation who is joining me on the podcast. So you're able to follow on Twitter at Sharks, the letter N Sports. That is pretty much all together, Sharks. Letter N Sports is the Twitter handle, and this is a gentleman that does a great job of a little bit of everything. Does a great job day in and day out taking a look at the baseball card. He's doing a nice job taking a look at all these NBA postseason games as well. I'm sure that once football season rolls around, Sharky Waters Nation is going to be all over that. I know that he's doing some prep work for that, and great to have him on the podcast today. Sharky Waters Nation, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Well, thanks, Greg. Second round's on me, as we like to say. This is the second time. Pilot went well. 
well, we're back. We're ready. And as you said, I like to cap all sports. July 1st excites me because it really marks the beginning of the summer, in my opinion. And that is baseball season. Basketball season, of course, is usually over two weeks ago. We're still here. There's been COVID. There's been a pandemic. There's been delayed schedules. But it's baseball season. We want to dive into it. We got some games to look at on Thursday. And Greg, why don't you lead us into where we're going? Absolutely. First things first, let's take a look at what we've seen over the last two weeks, though, because I remember you joined me, like I said, about a week and a half, two weeks ago. We both thought that the biggest thing when it came to taking a look at totals is not necessarily the foreign substances and everything like that, but rather the humidity, who's actually going to be pitching rather than just the fact that we've got a ban, don't blindly take overs. And going into yesterday, we saw unders hitting at about a 55% clip over the last, I would say, 10 or so days. And then, well, yesterday we wound up seeing some brain games, the Nationals and the Rays played a high-scoring one. The Brewers scored 15 unanswered runs after the Cubs got up by a count of 7-0. to I really don't think that that's ever happened in baseball history before, so that was interesting. And how are you just taking a look at totals in general right now? Because I think that you've got a lot of things at play. The weather is getting much more humid. Our buddies out there in the Pacific Northwest certainly know all about that from what happened earlier this week. And I do think that there's just so many things to factor in, including the fact that we only played 60 games last year. I do have a feeling that some of these arms are going to start burning out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Of course, you go back two seasons, 2019 summer, we were having a polar opposite discussion. Worst bullpen year in about 50 years and juiced balls. And of course, a lot of people think, you know, sports are rigged. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But we do know that baseball does change their ball year to year. And I think Rob Manfred has been on record saying this is a new ball this year. And I think it's a little less lively if we will maybe be understated on that. That being said, I totally agree. I think we're going to see an inflation in totals coming forward. Pitchers' arms maybe cratering a little bit. I think hitters just having clustered a low side of variance. And as you said, coming off of a pandemic and a bizarre season last year with only 60 games, no fans, clustered scheduling only for divisional games and geographically close games. I think just the dynamics and the pitcher and hitter matchup analysis, I think the hitters are seeing more, they're seeing the ball better. And as you said, the humidity also helps the ball to fly. So I think you're going to see it as a natural overall inflation in totals. And of course, game to game, that is not as easy as saying just the whole league's going to inflate. But I think it's a great comment all around. And we've got one outlier that is going to be on the card for Thursday. We're talking about these totals going up and up and up. We are seeing all games on the board as of right now, except for one with a total of at least eight. But of course, there's a man by the name of Jacob DeGrom who's pitching in that game. He's on the road facing off against the Atlanta Braves. I'm a little bit surprised that you were able to get Jacob DeGrom this cheap. He's anywhere between minus 160 and minus 165 as I'm seeing it right now. Mets on the road against the Atlanta Braves. Ian Anderson, a relatively solid pitcher, but even though there have been a couple injury concerns with Jacob DeGrom, this is just a spot in which I've got to be trusting in him until further notice because one run might be enough for the New York Metropolitans to be able to pull out this game. I recognize that the offense has not been great for them, but Jacob DeGrom having a year that rivals Bob Gibson back like 50 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you go back to his last start at home. People were joking. He hadn't given up a run, obviously, in 30 plus innings. It was his worst start in months, and he only gave up two runs. And of course, everyone's saying if only our pitchers had that sort of standard. I mean, the guy is an absolute legend having the best season of his career. And as you said, probably the best season, if not since Bob Gibson, certainly Pedro Martinez going back, Johan Santana, some of their really elite campaigns. He's a pleasure to watch. 
He's a statesman. He's a gentleman. I love his game. I love his mind. But I think, as you said, the line is relatively short. Just a general comment on the line. I think that's probably more a reflection of Atlanta being highly undervalued in the campaign so far. Of course, this is a deep playoff team that has come out 37 and 41. A lot of pitcher injuries. And I think the bats have just been a little inconsistent. Obviously, they have scored 355 runs, which is by far the most in the NL East. But they have given up 359 for a minus four differential. I think that the books are suggesting from a probability standpoint, the Braves should improve. But I wouldn't disagree with you, Greg, at all. Buying Jacob DeGrom is a very sustained, great idea. Yeah, if you've been betting on Jacob DeGrom in recent starts, things are going very well for you. There were a couple starts in which the Mets wound up losing in Jacob DeGrom starts. Those were like all those starts in which DeGrom winds up going like seven or eight innings. He gives up zero one runs. The bullpen winds up blowing it from there, but Mets bullpen has actually been very solid recently, so I do have to give them some kudos, as we do have Sharky Waters Nation joining me on the podcast. Got to give some kudos, too, to the Colorado Rockies, because at home, they have been a very good team. Now, on the road, this team is a hot mess. You want absolutely no part of the Colorado Rockies. If you've been betting on them every single game on the road this year, well, you probably need a new bankroll there, 6-31 and 31 on the road. But now 28-16 and 16 at home. They're going to be playing host to a St. Louis Cardinals team that Adam Wainwright has been reliable for them year in and year out. But if you take a look at Adam Wainwright, like a 2-5-ish ERA at home. Meanwhile, like a 6-3 ERA on the road. So he has been wildly different with that regard. And we're seeing the St. Louis Cardinals as a favorite. I do recognize that they wound up winning the series against the Arizona Diamondbacks, but once again, it's the Arizona Diamondbacks. As strange as it sounds, I'm going to be trusting in the Rockies in this spot just because I'm evaluating this team so differently when they're at Coors as opposed to when they're on the road. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. When I looked at the card tomorrow, of course, baseball, big card almost every day. I did hone in on this spot, 640 Mountain Time, 840 Eastern. And you do find Antonio Sensatella coming home as well, which is a really interesting dynamic for him. He does pitch better at Coors. And interestingly enough, a lot of the Rockies pitchers have pitched better at Coors this year than on the road, which is kind of counterintuitive and not representative of recent history. I don't know if it's psychological. I don't know if they've changed their regiment, their pitch selection, more sinkers keep it a blow. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not glued to Rockies broadcast nightly, but I do look at Wainwright coming in here, as you said, on the road, far more pedestrian and coming off of four straight, very good starts, four outright wins and four quality starts, I do believe. So I think when you look at recent history, he should not continue to pitch that well. And going to course, he actually did ace the Rockies at home earlier this year, eight innings pitched, only two hits. And I think when you look figure at 130 here, 40 and 41 on the campaign for the Cardinals, 17 and 23 on the road. And as you mentioned, obviously, the Rockies home away record split is mind boggling, insulting almost to professionalism from the standpoint they should be able to find something on the road slightly better than six and 31. Why are you guys bother even to show up from that standpoint? <laughs> but 27 and 16 at home, Antonio Sensatella and a great fit of Wayne right here. I think Colorado is a very good early look. I am so glad that you brought up the word insulting because That's what I feel like bookmakers are doing to us, being insulting, because the San Francisco Giants are a minus-130 favorite against the Arizona Diamondbacks right now. The Arizona Diamondbacks are 22-60 and right now. I believe that they are 7-45 and in their last 52 games overall. 
The San Francisco Giants have won 50 games so far this year. I recognize that Johnny Cueto can give up a couple runs, and Merrill Kelly is a much better pitcher at home than he is on the road. But, I mean, I think that you've got to be taking the Giants here. I know that everyone and their brother is going to be on the San Francisco Giants here, but this is one of these situations in which you don't need to get too cute. I would much rather be a rich square rather than a broke sharp, as they like to put it. And this is a spot where I'm going to be trusting in the Giants once again. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, obviously you talk about public versus sharp action. I think sharp contrarian action is very numerically based and unadjusted sometimes. And I always bring it back outside of baseball, but I bring it back to when the Cleveland Browns did not win a game in an NFL season. Uh, And bro, I mean, the sharp action backed them every single week and they lost every single bet. It's purely an unadjusted mentality and strategy. And I do think you're looking at just a long-term average here. I don't think the books have adjusted it that much. I think if you zoom back out to early April and you look at Johnny Cueto versus Merrill Kelly, you look at the Giants expectancy based on the futures markets, this is probably the number they would have thrown out April 1st. And it's not really adjusted for how awful the Diamondbacks have been. And I've said this on the record on Twitter, and I've said it in a DM to a bunch of people who bet baseball. And I said, you know, Diamondbacks in this really horrible stretch they've been in are one of the first teams in recent history that I can recall that I actually thought were tanking MLB games. And that sounds ridiculous because it's not the NBA draft. There's no number one pick that's really that standout. But they are finding ways to lose games that is really mind-boggling, and they shouldn't lose. So I think even from the standpoint this maybe being a public side or a short figure, I think the Diamondbacks might just give away the game in the 6th, 7th, 8th, or ninth inning like they've done over and over and over in this campaign. I still remember being at the Vegas Ads and Information Network that year in which the Browns did not win a game. Brent Musburger was hosting it every week. He'd be like, why are the Sharps betting the Cleveland Browns once again? Because I still remember they went 4-12 and against the spread. And I mean, it's not one of these things where you want to be playing public sides every single game. But if your numbers shoot out that you're on the public side, don't feel bad about playing the public side, especially when you're fading a team that's 7-45 and in their last 52 games. It's just yeah. mind-boggling. And then also on the Arizona Diamondbacks, I think that this is just a broken team right now because you take a look at the pitching staff. Riley Smith winds up pitching yesterday. He was a starter at one point. He was thrown into the bullpen. He becomes a starter again. He gets thrown in the bullpen. And now he's a starter once again. I talk with Josh Towers every week on the Vegas Ads and Information Network. He talks about one of the toughest things to do in all of sports is go from being a starting pitcher to a relief pitcher because when you're a starting pitcher, you expect to go every five days. You've got your regiments. So that way you're able to go those north of five innings. Typically, 100-plus pitches is what you prepare for as a starting pitcher. Meanwhile, as a reliever, you have to be ready at any moment's notice. And I think that they've just completely killed all of their arms because if you take a look at it, other than really Merrill Kelly and Madison Bumgarner is on the injured list, All these guys at one point were in the bullpen. Now they're being asked to start and they're just completely flip-flopping and there's no rhyme or reason to it. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think they're completely mismanaged across the lineup and the staff. And I've been fortunate or maybe unfortunate to watch a lot of Diamondbacks games. I turn on baseball a lot in the Pacific Coast time zone here in my office. And I've watched this team, and again, it's just mind-boggling to see how awful the pitching staff has been managed, as you noted, and just how they give away games. It's almost one of those things where I always talk about basketball. You know, you can expect a basketball team to go on a run in the fourth quarter. You can't just necessarily assume a baseball team's going to get four runs in the bottom of the eighth to score to win the game. And the Diamondbacks, over and over and over, just find a way to give it away. It's really bizarre to me, to be perfectly honest. I just still remember they had relief pitcher Alex Young up with the bases loaded in a one-to-one game in the bottom of the sixth against the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> they don't wind up pinch hitting for him. The next inning, he gives up a touchdown minus the extra points. So 
Great managing there by the Arizona Diamondbacks as Sharky Waterization does a little bit of a better job with his management, and he is currently joining me on the podcast. And when you take a look at the board for what we've all got on Thursday, is there anything that's really standing out to you? Because I know you're someone out there in the state of New York. We already talked about the Mets, and I know that the Yankees are a little bit of a hot topic team. I'm sure that you've got a little bit of something there. And overall, we've got a little bit of a shorter card than normal, but still, I'm pretty sure we've got 13 games, so relatively solid for a Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. And we go one o'clock in Yankee Stadium. We find Jordan Montgomery here hosting Griffin Canning. And I have not finalized my board yet. It is only 6.15 p.m. on a Wednesday, but I'm looking strongly at the New York Yankees here. Uh, 41 and 38 on the campaign, 22 and 19 at home. And I think really when you look at Jordan Montgomery, Jordan Montgomery is far better pitching at Yankee Stadium. It fits his eye. He's more comfortable. Obviously, the home fans coming more into the stadium. But if you look at his home starts, he hasn't really been blessed with the easiest schedule this year. He has faced a lot of contenders. And I think when you really look at the other side of the aisle here and you look at Griffin Canning, Griffin Canning kind of fits the same model as Adam Wainwright. Griffin Canning comes in here way too efficient in his last three starts. And prior to a recent efficient stretch, he did actually have four or five pedestrian ones in a row. So from just the general psychology of it, he was a little bit too cold for a while. Now he's too hot. And I think he comes in here in a matinee, 10 a.m. body time, which I'm not sure how much that really affects it. But I do think the Yankees, in a northward movement point, of course, one of the most beneath their average teams across the whole sport right now, would check the boxes from a pitcher matchup analysis and a team-by-team analysis. I think that that's going to be a really fascinating game because the Yankees all of a sudden are getting their offense going, which has been the big thing for them all year long. Season high, 11 runs earlier in the series a few days ago against the Angels and with Griffin Canning. It's one of these things in which I take a look at him, and it feels like every time he strings together two, three, I think once he's strung together four good starts, he then winds up throwing out there a complete and utter turd. It's just sort of that John Lester theory where every single time that he gets on a roll, you want to be fading that because you know that at some point he's going to throw out there that big giant clunker, but a man that never throws out there a clunker, that'd be you, Sharky Waters Nation. You do an absolutely terrific job. I know that you're doing a great job of taking a look at the NBA postseason. I know that you're, you're getting set for football as well, which hard to believe it's now two months away. So that is going to be here before we know it. And then you also do a great job day in and day out evaluating the baseball card as we just heard right here. So what the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what you've all got going on in general. Absolutely. It's Sharks and Sports, letter N, one word on Twitter. Most of my content is on Twitter, although I do co-host a show on YouTube five days a week, NBA commentary with my man. I call him the legend because he is, just like Greg Peterson. J Money is money. We'll be on there all year next year in the fall. Basketball and football coming up, as Greg said, two months from now. Can't believe it's coming, and I think we'll have full stadiums. I think Indianapolis Colts just approved that. The whole league will be back. The energy will be back. Sunday football is back. And as I always say, nine words of lifestyle. Sharky Waters Nation, ride the way we're out of the war. Thanks for having me, Greg. A beautiful opportunity to chat MLB baseball yet again, and we'll be back very soon, I hope. Oh, absolutely. Sharky Waters Nation is now in the fold for trying to get him on this podcast quite a bit throughout the rest of the season. We'll need to check in on college basketball as well, since that'll be here before we know it as well. I'm certainly getting psyched for that and Mr. Sharky Waters Nation does a great job with his live videos as well those are always very entertaining and he did a great job of bringing the boom on this podcast as well so big thanks to Sharky Waters Nation who you're able to follow on Twitter at Sharks and Sports for joining me right here in the last segment and coming up next it is that time the podcast that can be signed total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday and a little something like call punch them all 
Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Sharky Waters Nation delivered again. That was a great segment with him taking a look at today's cards. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this wonderful Thursday. And a little something I like to call... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do you note that as per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order with these, and any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRSquirty1 with rotation order. These are just the rotation numbers that you use actually whenever you look to make a bet at the window when it comes to Las Vegas, just the numbers at the front, and it goes National League games first then the American League games, and then any interleague games will be on the bottom. Does not look like we have any of those. So we do begin with that first National League game, 901-902 on the betting board. The Miami Marlins hit the road faceoff against the Philadelphia Phillies. Zach Eflin hopes to not be Eflin awful for the Philadelphia Phillies. Meanwhile, Pablo Lopez is going to be hitting the bump for the Miami Marlins. Your total on this game is 8 over and under are anywhere between minus 105 minus 115. If you're taking a look at the Philadelphia Phillies, you're going to be finding them anywhere between a minus 127 and a minus 130. Meanwhile, for the fish, between plus 110 and plus 118 is your price there. And for the Miami Marlins, I do have some faith in Pablo Lopez. I want to making him a very slight favorite. He has been a little bit more shaky on the road than he has been at home, but you take a look by and large. He's been able to do a good job of being able to limit the hard contact overall for the season. He has been able to go 91 innings, giving up 9 home runs. That's relatively solid. 2.2 walks per 9 innings. And for Zach Eflin, you do have to be taking a look at him. Vastly different home to road on the road so far this year. 571 ERA, 1 and 5 record at home. He's got a 2-1-3 ERA and a 1 and 1 record, giving up 3 home runs at 38 innings whenever he's been at Philly. But I will say this opponents are in at 275 off of him for the Miami Marlins. The hard contact has been a little bit of a question mark for them. You've got Asus Aguiar along with Adam Duvall doing a good job of being able to pump out the homers. I know that Asus Aguiar wanted him missing yesterday, but you've got Duvall, 17 home runs, 55 RBI. And you do have quite a few guys getting on base. So early Marte of the Marte Parte, right around a 400 on base. You got guys like Miguel Rojas. I believe that they wound up picking up Joe Panic, which I think that that's very interesting. Along Jazz Chisholm, these guys are in between a 245 and a 260. Garrett Cooper has been able to do a little bit of the same as Powers, a little bit down, but he's been able to reach base. Then you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. You've got Bryce Harper and JT Riumito. pair of guys who I would expect to have a little bit more power in the bat. They're both doing a good job with right around 365, 375-ish on bases, 265 to 270 batting averages, but combined 18 home runs between these two gentlemen. Oduba Herrera, after he was white hot in the month of of June, very early on in June along with late May. He has cooled down recently. Andrew McCutcheon has given the same 13 home runs, but you know that this is a team that's a little bit banged up. They did wind up getting back Gene Segura a couple days ago, so that is going to be able to help them out, but when it comes to this Phillies bullpen, it's hard to have a lot of faith in these guys. Archie Bradley has been relatively solid. Connor Brogdon does pitch better home to road, but still, right around a 425 ERA. Hector Neris, I just have no faith in him. And for the Miami Marlins, a bunch of guys that are sort of cast-offs from other teams that have been able to come together. Tim Floroyimi Garcia, the former Dodgers, have been relatively solid. They did have to dive into their bullpen quite a bit yesterday, but Richard Blyer is someone that's doing a better job of being able to limit the hard contact at the bass has you hook, line, and sinker. This is a situation in which I did wind up making the Miami Marlins a very, very slight favorite, so we're going to be riding with them. Also set 
this total at 7.9. So relatively close here, but we're going to be taking it under. I do think that this is going to be a lower scoring game with Lopez going, and I'm going to be taking the fish. 903-904 on the betting board. The LA Dodgers set throw to face off against the Washington Nationals. One Patrick Corbin is going to be going for the Nets. Meanwhile, Tony Gonsolin is on the bump for the Dodgers. Dodgers between minus 130 and minus 135 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Nets, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 115 and plus 123. Your draw on this game is 9.5 over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And this is the spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the Dodgers. I want to make in them more like a minus 156 favorite now. I will say, with Patrick Corbin, he has been significantly better at home than he has been on the road. You take a look at him on the road, it has been an absolute disaster. A 656 ERA 0-4 record and over his last, I would say, seven home starts, he's got right around a 4-ish ERA. His first home start of the year was absolutely terrible, but in that time ever since then, he's pretty much given up four home runs in his last seven home starts. So he's been able to rein it in a tad bit more for Tony Gonsolin. You gotta think that he's going to be an opener plus. You take a look at his last three starts, three and two-thirds innings, three and two-thirds innings, four innings, giving up one run in each of them. So I sort of expect the same. Maybe they let him go five innings, but you gotta think that you're gonna get a healthy dose of the Dodgers bullpen. And the good news for the Dodgers is they wind up having the day yesterday, so Victor Gonzalez is going to be available. He has been good out of the bullpen. Joe Kelly had a really rough start to begin the year, but he's been able to find it a little bit recently. Blake Tryon is someone I'm able to trust in, and then the former starters, Jimmy Nelson, David Price, they're able to give you two innings apiece. Ken Lee Jansen has been a good closer, and for the Nationals, right hand has certainly been able to do his job for the team. The team is a bit banged up in the bullpen, though. You're still going to be without Danny Hudson. Ryan Harper has been able to do a relatively solid job for the team, but with just how crazy the game was against the Tampa Bay Rays yesterday, you did have to end up using up quite a few of your bullpen pieces. Good news is John Lester was able to eat up five innings. And what else is good news for the Washington Nationals is how good Kyle Schwarber has been. 16 home runs in the team's last 19 games. It's pretty darn good. Trey Turner down for what? He's got a 370 on base. He's been able to get a couple home runs recently. 12 for the season. Juan Soto went deep in that series against the Tampa Bay Rays, but his power has not really been there so far this year. Still suck on nine homers. 400 on base, which is good. And then Josh Bell has been able to find a little bit of something. He's been able to belt out a couple home runs recently. And then you've got Sterling Castro, Jan Gomes, along Jody Mercer, all in between a 250 and a 260. So they've been able to give you a tad bit of something. And Gerardo Parra, baby shark, was able to get a home home run in the last few days as well. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of the LA Dodgers. This is a team that in general does a good job of being able to reach base. Cody Bellinger has hit a pair of home runs over the last seven days. Good to see him back in the fold. Justin Turner down for what? 380 on base. Double digit amount of homers. Max Muncy 17 bombs. 420 on base. He has been amazing when he's been out there on the field. And then you've got guys like Will Smith, Chris Taylor, Mookie Betts. 365 to 380 on bases. So I do think that the Dodgers are going to be able to get something generated. And for the Dodgers, when it comes to road bullpen ERA, they've been one of the better teams out there in the big leagues and just ERA in general. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game with Patrick Corbin being at home. Set this all at nine. We're going to be diving under, but I want to saying the Dodgers as north of a minus 150 favorite. So we're going to be riding with them on the money line. 905, 906 on the betting board. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be playing us the Milwaukee Brewers. One Corbin Burns, who I always believe should have his name set in an old English accent, goes for the Brew Crew. William Crow is going to be going for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Your tallest game is anywhere between 7.5 and 8. On the 8, unders minus 120. The overs even. On the 7.5, overs anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The unders anywhere between even and minus 105. With the Brew Crew, you're lying anywhere between minus 225 and minus 240 plus price here. With the Buckos, anywhere between plus 192 and plus 116. I want to make in the Pirates a plus 211 underdog, so I'm actually going to be taking a look at them in this spot. 
with Corbin Burns. He has not gotten the record that he deserves, no question about it. This is someone that has been able to do a tremendous job of being able to limit our contact. He wound up having that amazing streak to begin the year of not giving out walks. He's still giving out right around 1.8-ish walks per nine innings. And Two home runs at 74 and two-thirds innings. That's absolutely amazing. But you take a look at what he's done on the road. 231 ERA, but only four starts. So it's been a very limited sample size. Bones are buck seventy-six off of him, so he's been very solid there. But it is one of these things in which in past years, he certainly has had his issues. And with having a small sample size, it's something where I still want to see a little bit more out of him. Meanwhile, for Will Crow, it certainly has not been going well for him. But I will say three runs or fewer given up in three out of his last five starts overall for the year. 650 ERA that is unsightly and he has given up right around 2.2 home runs per nine innings. I take a look at the Brewers. They wind up scoring 15 unanswered runs against the Chicago Cubs yesterday. I think that that might be a little bit of fool's gold and a little bit of an outlier. You take a look at this bunch. Christian Yelich along with Luis Arias are both hitting at 247 with Yelich. A 403 on base, but he still only has like four or five home runs so far this year. Arias has been able to give you 10. And I will say, you've got Tyrone Taylor hitting right around a 310 on base. Jace Peterson has been able to pick it up. 260 batting average. Kessin Ipipira, he has actually been able to really find it in the last couple days, but still, hitting a buck 60 for the year. Jackie Bradley Jr. is hitting as 165. Daniel Robertson, buck 45. So, you still got a lot of slugs in this lineup. Meanwhile, for the Pittsburgh Pirates, it's a little bit of a top-heavy lineup because you do have some guys at the top that are able to do a good job of being a reach base. Adam Frazier, 395 on base. Cabrian Aze, 355. And when he touches all the bases, he's able to hit a couple home runs. Brian Reynolds, double-digit amount of bombs. 405 on base, 316 batting average. Colin Moran has been a little bit banged up, but he's able to give you a tad bit of something. Now, the guys at the bottom have been bad. Michael Perez, Kaye Tom, Kevin Newman, Philip. Evans, you throw in there, Gregory Polanco, all these guys hitting a 210 or lower. Eric Gonzalez has been able to give you a tad bit of something, but what I like about the Pittsburgh Pirates, their bullpen. Jason Shreve has been able to do a nice job for the team. You've also been able to get some good innings out of Kyle Crick, Richard Rodriguez, and then for the Milwaukee Brewers, no question, Devin Williams, Josh Hader, these guys have been absolutely amazing, and for the Brewers, they were able to do a good job of being able to save some of their bullpen pieces after they wound up getting two-thirds of an inning out of Aaron Ashby, but still, you did have to use up Brent Suter, Hunter Strickland, Trevor Richards, a lot of these setup guys, so they're going to need Corbin Burns to be able to go 7+, plus. and he actually hasn't necessarily lent the world's greatest amount of length. I think that the Brewers should be a little bit of a sizable favorite, but I think that this is a little bit too much here. Also, wound up saying this total at 7.6, so I'm going to be diving under to go along with the Pirates plus price. 907-908 on the betting board. You've got the Salam Diego Padres in the road face off against the Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati, and they're on to Luis Castillo going for them. Meanwhile, Ryan Weathers is going to be on the bump for the pods. Padres, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Red Legs, they are anywhere between even money and plus 108. Your total is anywhere between 9.5 and, and 10. On the 9.5, unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Overs anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. The 10 is a little bit strange. The under is minus 130 and the over is plus 110. This is a spot in which I want to say this total 8.8. So I am going to be diving under in this spot. And I believe that the Padres should be more like a minus 123 favorite. Luis Castillo has been able to find it a little bit more recently. And he has always been a better pitcher whenever he's been in Cincinnati rather than on the road. But he still leads the league with 10 losses. So that's not necessarily too terrific. Now, recent form, he has given up three runs or fewer in each out of his last five starts. That is very encouraging, including... 
going six innings against the Padres about a week or two ago. Gave up three runs, only two of which were earned. He was hurt by his fielding, but the walks are certainly something that's unsightly. You take a look at him at home so far this year. 19 walks in 42 and a third inning, so that's a little bit of an issue. And opponents overall for the year are inning right around at 270 off of him. He hasn't necessarily given up the long ball, but for the San Diego Padres, this is a team that they've got a lot of guys that do a good job of being able to reach base. Tommy Pham, after a rough start to the year, he's got right around a 360 on base, and if you take a look at him for the month of June, he actually caught quite a bit of fire, hitting a 337 with a 442 on base going into yesterday with, I believe, six home runs. Manny Machado has had similar numbers in the month of June as well. He's now got 12 home runs, hitting a 260. Fernando Tatis Jr. entered into yesterday with 55 RBI, 25 home runs, and 16 stolen bases. So, he's been doing a relatively solid job. Trent Grisham is back to full, hitting a 275. Jerks and Profire and Victor Carantini. Pair of guys hitting right around like a 220, but both of these guys have on bases. They're about 100 points higher than their batting average, and then you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds. Jesse Winker, Nick Cassianos, a combined 34 home runs. Both of these guys hitting above a 320. There's no question about it. These guys are very solid. Tucker Barnard has been very good at the catcher spot all year long for this team, and you've also got Stevenson who's able to come in. He's been able to hit right around at 275, so I do like those guys, but you've had to give Kyle Farmer, Shogo Akiyama a couple of appearances, and these guys don't necessarily have a lot of power. They don't necessarily do a great job of being able to get on base like Jonathan India's got like a 370 on base, and you just take a look at this Reds bullpen. TJ Antone is injured once again. Brad Brock has been able to give you a little bit of something, but Amir Garrett, Heath Embry, Ryan Hendricks, these guys are not necessarily trustworthy, and for the Padres, best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. They've been used for almost more innings than any other bullpen, but Pierce Johnson has been able to be consistent for the team. Drew Pomerantz is now back. He's able to lend some good innings. Emilio Pagan has been pretty good, and then you take a look at Mark Melanson right now leading the MLB and saves him for Ryan Weathers. Every time it seems like they stretch him out, the Padres do. He seems to do worse and worse. He is making his first appearance in quite a while. It has been a while since we saw him last time. was on January 14th, a game in which he wound up only going three innings, but I think the Padres will probably have him go about four-ish, turn it over to a very trustworthy bullpen, and I should be able to get the job done for the San Diego Padres, so I'm going to wind up taking them on the money line, set the total at 8.8 as well, so we're going to be diving under along with the Pods money line. We move on to 909-910 on the betting board. The Atlanta Braves are going to be playing us the New York Metropolitans. One Jacob DeGrom is going to be going for the Metropolitans. Ian Anderson is on the bump for the Braves. Jones came at 6. Over Zenny Warp Team, minus 110, minus 115. Under Zenny Warp Team, minus 110 and minus 105. With the Metropolitans, any Warp Team, minus 159 and minus 165 is your price here. Meanwhile, the Braves, any Warp Team, plus 144 and plus 150 is what you're getting there. I need more than plus 150 to be able to fade Jacob DeGrom. I made him a minus 184 favorite personally. With DeGrom, it's just been absolutely amazing. We were talking about it with Sharky Waters Nation. He gave up two runs in his last start, and that was deemed to be very terrible. I don't need to go too far into depth with Jacob DeGrom. 0-69 ERA, three home runs and 11 walks given up in 78 innings, 122 strikeouts. Guy throws 100 miles an hour. Yeah, you know what you're getting there. And the bullpen of the Mets say that DeGrom winds up leaving after five or six innings. It's actually been relatively good. Miguel Castro has come out of the bullpen. He's got an ERA that's hovering in the neighborhood of about a 3-3. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Trevor May. Corey Oswalt has been a good long reliever for this team as well, so you're in good hands there. Meanwhile, the Atlanta Braves, they've got a bottom end of the league bullpen so far this year. Shane Green, ever since coming off the injured list, has been bad. AJ Mitchell has been a little bit better recently, but he's had a tough year along with Edgar Santana. You've got Josh Shomlin, who's rocking right around a 470 ERA. And for Ian Anderson, he's doing a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. Seven home runs give it up in 81 and two-thirds innings, but his walks per nine, hovering right around a 3-3-ish. He at home has actually been worse than on the road. 430 ERA at home. He has given up only three home runs so far this year when he's been in Atlanta, but he clearly has been not necessarily doing the best job of being able to have command as well. And then you take a look at this 
this Mets lineup. It certainly is not the world's greatest, but you do have Pete Alonso, 12 home runs, doing a good job with that around a 360 on base. And then you're getting back a lot of pieces as well. Michael Conforto, Jeff McNeil, they are now back at the fold. That'll help them out. Luis Galorme is right around a 400-ish on base now. Other than Alonso and Galorme, everyone entering into the game yesterday that was in the starting lineup, a 240 batting average or lower, but... You also do have a little bit of a hitter-friendly ballpark in there at Atlanta. And for the Braves, you have been able to get quite a few homers as you've got a team that I believe leads the National Leagues with regards to home runs. And each out of their top five hitters in the lineup yesterday had at least 13 entering in the day. Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley, Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna Jr. And for Freeman, he's hitting above a 300 in the month of June. He has been doing a great job of being able to reach base, Ronald Acuna Jr., 16 stolen bases, north of a 385 on base, 21 bombs is awesome. And then Guillermo Aredia hitting a 280 for this team. That's been a little bit unexpected. Abraham Almonte, he wound up entering into yesterday, hitting below the Mendoza line of 200, but has actually been able to do a solid job of being able to reach base. But this is just a spot in which I can't fade Jacob deGrom. I do think that Anderson wise is giving up a couple runs. I think that the 6 is a little bit too low. I wound up saying the at 6.8. So even at 6.5, I would have been taking a look at the over. This is a hitter-friendly ballpark. I do think that the Mets are starting to get healthy at just the right time as well. So we're going to be going over, and it's just hard to fade Jacob DeGrom in this spot. If you're taking a look at the run line, by the way, of the Mets, you're finding that at plus 110 to plus 115. So I'm actually going to take a shot here on the Mets' run line. I think that there's a chance that you could wind up seeing something like a 5-2 style game. So we're going to take the Mets on the run line to go along with this total over. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. You got my New York Post play today as the Colorado Rockies are going to be playing those to the St. Louis Cardinals. And Adam Wainwright going to be going for the cards. Antonio Sensatella is going to be on the bump for the Colorado Rockies. Your total on this game is 11.5 over and under. Anywhere between minus 105 minus 115. If you're taking a look at the cards, anywhere between minus 127 and minus 130. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Rockies, that's anywhere between plus 110 and plus 120. And for Antonio Sensatella, we were talking about Sharky Waters Nation, a guy that does a much better job when he is at home rather than on the road. And Adam Wainwright is the complete opposite. With Adam Wainwright, you take a look at what he's been able to do this year on the road, a 6.31 ERA in five starts. He has given up six home runs in 25 and two-thirds innings. Meanwhile, he's given up six home runs in 67 innings whenever he's been at home and opponents hitting a 272 off of him on the road compared to a 205 at home. Meanwhile, you take a look at Antonio Sensatella. Typically, pitchers are supposed to pitch worse at Coors Field. 391 ERA at home, and if you take out that first start of the year against the Dodgers over the course of his last eight home starts, right around a 310 ERA, he's actually been able to do a relatively solid job there. Not a guy that's going to walk a lot of gentlemen as well. 11 walks and 53 innings so far this year when he's been at home and he's got a opponent's batting average of a 267 at home compared to 341 on the road and the bullpen in general is a little bit better. Guys like Carlos Estevez, Daniel Bard, even someone like Tyler Kinley. These guys have been able to perform quite solidly at home and I mentioned it as well with the Rockies. This is a team that has won 28 games I believe now at home. It might be 27 but they have been very good at home. Six road wins so far this year, which are on pace to be like the worst team in the history of baseball on the road. And you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. They were able to get that sweep over the Arizona Diamondbacks, but you take that series out of the fold. They have lost 17 out of their last 24 games. They have been struggling with that regard now. You do have some guys who do a solid job of being able to reach base as well. Dylan Carlson, A350 on base for this team. Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, Yadier Molina, Tommy Edmond, Umando Sosa, all in between the pocket of a 252 and a 272. And with O'Neill, 
He has been able to do a good job of being able to pump out 15 home runs so far this year, but Matt Carpenter has been a disappointment once again. You've had a St. Louis Cardinals bullpen that has Alex Reyes doing an absolutely amazing job, but he wound up getting used up yesterday. You wound up using up Ryan Ellsley as well, and you've got Mr. 81 ERA and Ruel Ramirez, so you get to dodge that bullet, but now they've got John Gant coming out of the bullpen as well. You've got Giovanni Gallegos, Genesis Cabrera, a pair of guys that are doing a solid job, but I do take a look at this spot, and I do take a look at the Rockies. hitting right around a 280 at home compared to a 197 on the road, and that is very glaring. Got a guy in Ryan McMahon who's been able to give the team 16 home runs so far this year. Ramiel Tapia has done a nice job of being able to reach base at home, and you just take a look at some of these guys and what they're doing at home. These are home numbers only. You've got Jonathan Daza hitting a 360 for this team. Trevor Story's hitting a 321 at home, and like at the Mendoza line on the road, Josh Fuentes hitting above a 300 at home, well below a 200 on the road, so it's been very stark to see this. I do think that the Rockies are going to be able to protect their home field. I take a look at the home and road splits of Wainwright and Sensatella, and I think that the Rockies should be the favorite in this spot, so we're going to be riding with the Rockies money line as my New York Post will today. I also set this total right around 11-ish. I do think that the hook being added on this is a little bit too much, so we're going to be diving under to go along with the New York Post today, which is Rockies money line. 913-914 on the bang board. The Arizona and the Diamondbacks are going to be playing with the San Francisco Giants. Johnny Cueto is going to be going for the Giants. Meanwhile, Merrill Kelly is going to be on the bump for the Ears and the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks are finding themselves as a way too short underdog here. Anywhere between plus 110 and plus 118. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Giants, anywhere between minus 130 and they're down to a minus 124 in some spots. So on this game is dying. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and even. And I do recognize that Merrill Kelly throughout his career has had an ERA that's right around two points better at home than it has been on the road. But good grief, this is an Arizona Diamondbacks team I believe has lost 45 out of their last 52 games. What are we doing here with this price? Merrill Kelly is someone that has a 3.59 ERA so far at home. Three home runs given up in 42 and two-thirds innings at 11 walks. So that's actually not too bad. But what happens when he turns it over to the bullpen of Matt Peacock, who was doing a relatively okay job as a starter, was doing a good job at the beginning of the year out of the bullpen, but now is just completely shot because he has been pushed from being in and out of the rotation. You've got a guy in Noah Ramirez who has not been doing a good job out of the bullpen, Joe Manapoli. Has a halfway decent ERA, but it feels like every time he's in the game, someone's committing an error behind him. And then you've got Johnny Cueto, 363 ERA so far this year. He is not necessarily a guy that's going to get you a bunch of swings and misses. And I will say, road ERA hovering more around a five. But on the road so far this year, he's given up two home runs and seven walks at 25 and a third inning. So that's not too bad. And then you take a look at the San Francisco Giants lineup. Buster Posey hitting well above a three iron for this team. 400 on base, double digit amount of homers. He has been great. Lamonte Wade has been able to give this team right around a 270 batting average. 50 on base, and that's one of the things with the Giants. They do one of the best jobs of being able to draw walks of all teams in the big leagues. Steven Duger hitting a 315. They do a good job of being able to platoon as well, so pitchers are thrown a little bit off guard because the Giants mid-game, they'll wind up bringing in pinch hitters. They'll be able to get the job done with that regard, and for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Guitel Marte looks to be injured once again, so no Marte Parte for this team. Josh Rojas is hitting right around a 340 with regards to his on base, 260 batting average, double digit amount of formers, and then Eduardo Escobar, 17 home runs so far this year is relatively solid, but after that, you really don't have any other guys that are giving you more than like seven home runs that are currently available for this team. Ezra Cabrera, Christian Walker, these guys have been disappointments in between a 230 and a 241. Cabrera has been able to get on base, but he's not necessarily supplying a lot of boom. Josh Reddick has as many home runs as myself as well, so I Take a look at the spot, and I wound up saying the Giants is north of a minus 150 favorite, so we're going to be riding with them in this spot. I mean, you could call it square, but 
I just can't back the Arizona Diamondbacks at this spot. And I also wanted to setting this total at 9.3. So I'm going to be taking one of those nines over, and we're going to be riding with the Giants. 9.15, 9.16 on the bank board. The LA Angels hit the road face off against the New York Yankees. One Jordan Montgomery is going to be going for the Yankees. Griffin Canning is going to be on the bump for the Angels. Jones game is 10. Over and under are at minus 110. If you're taking a look at the Yankees, you're going to be finding them anywhere between a minus 159 and a minus 171. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Angels, anywhere between plus 144 and plus 157. And when I take a look at the Angels, this is a bunch in which has been up and down all year long, but I take a look at Griffin Canning as well. The stuff is there. I was mentioning it with our good buddy Sharky Waters Nation. He seems to be a little bit inconsistent, but I could say the same for Jordan Montgomery as well. Now, I think that he brings up a good point with Montgomery. Montgomery, 261 home ERA, 553 road ERA, and at home so far this year, from runs given up in 41 and a third innings and just eight walks. So he's been able to do a nice job there. He's backed up by a bullpen that now has Darren O'Day back into it. That's nice. Aroldis Chapman has been struggling a little bit, but he still has Aroldis Chapman. Jonathan Lewis, good. Lucas Lutige, able to give you good innings for the Angels. The bullpen has actually been a little bit better recently. Rossi Iglesias, after a terrible start to the year, has been able to pick it up. Aaron Sleggers is back off the injured list. Tony Watson has been a hot mess recently, but Steve Ciszek able to give you a tad bit of something but you also take a look at this Angels team and the lineup has been absolutely incredible for this team. How about Joey Otani? Leading the league in home runs right now with a 360 on base. Oh, and he's doing it on the mound as well. Jared Walsh hitting a 280. 18 home runs going into yesterday. David Fletcher in the month of June. It's something like a 360, so that's terrific. Jose Iglesias is able to give you some solid at-bats as well, so by and large, I take a look at this Angels team and they're solid with their lineup. Meanwhile, the Yankees, I do think that Luke Voigt is going to be able to give this team a little bit of a spark as an necessary done it to this point this year, but he did wind up leading the big leagues in homers last year. DJ LeMahieu, John Carlos Stanton, and Miguel Andor, all guys hitting between a 263 and a 275, and I think that you can throw in their Gio Shell as well. He's in that pocket. Gary Sanchez hit well above a 300 during the month of June. He's been able to pick it up, and then you got a couple slugs. Clint Frazier, Brett Gardner out there in the outfield of Nadine, so he's been able to get the job done. Why Rudan Odor is still getting at-bats in the MLB, I have absolutely no idea, but I do feel like the Angels should be a relatively sizable underdog, but I I was only willing to make them a plus 154. Seeing them right now at a plus 157, that is very appealing to me, so I'm going to wind up taking that. And with this total, set it at 9.6. Out of 9.5, I'd be willing to take the over. Now that we've gotten to 10, tab it to I. So we're going to be diving under along with the Angels on the money line. 9.17, 9.18 on the banging board. You've got the Toronto, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays, playing OC Seattle Mariners. Yusei Kikuchi is going to be going for the Mariners. Meanwhile, Hunjin Ryu is going to be going for the Blue Jays. John's game is 9.5 over and under anywhere between minus 1.5 and minus 115. The Blue Jays, anywhere between minus 195 and minus 210 favorites with the Seattle Mariners. Anywhere between plus 176 and plus 183. For Yusei Kikuchi, certainly has been a little bit of an up and down year. And he actually has been able to do his best work on the road. He's got an ERA that at home is actually a full point higher than it is on the road. And his strikeout numbers are way up. He's getting a little bit over a strikeout per inning. I remember when he first came into the league, it was more around six and a half strikeouts per nine innings. But on the road so far this year in eight starts, 289 ERA. Giving up 17 walks and 46 and two-thirds innings. Nothing great, nothing terrible. Opponents are in less than a 200 off of him, both home and road this year. Meanwhile, you take a look at Ryu. He's done a nice job of being able to limit the hard contact. He's given up about 1.2 home runs per nine innings, but only 1.9 walks per nine. Not necessarily a high strikeout guy. 7.2 strikeouts per nine innings, but... Despite Dunedin and Buffalo both being bandbox ballparks, it's right around a 3-5 ERA between the two ballparks so far this year. So he's been able to do a good job of folding down the fort. And with this Blue Jays team, they are going to be backing him up with one of the best lineups that you're going to find out there in the big leagues. Lagero Jr. 
is right now in contention for a triple crown. He needs to catch Mr. Otani when it comes to home runs, but a 450 on base. He has been absolutely amazing. Bo Bichette, Marcus Simeon. Both of these guys are in north of a 280. Both of these guys 15 plus home runs. George Springer is not necessarily been able to find it yet, but I do think that he is going to be able to reacclimate himself and give this team something. Lords Guriel hitting a 260 for this team. Joe Panic is traded, but now you've got Randall Gritchick doing a great job. He's hitting a 270. I do think that with that, you're going to see Santiago Espinal a little bit more as well. A guy that I really like it for the Seattle Mariners. You do have a team that is last in the American League when it comes to batting average. Delmore, Taylor Trammell, along with Tom Murphy, Lewis Torrance, Kyle Seeger, all guys hitting a 220 or lower. Jake Bowers right around at 225. But Mitch Anniger, 17 home runs, 300 on base. Ty France, 350 on base. And JP Crawford is hitting at 280. So you've got a couple guys there. And for the Mariners, it has been a little bit tough for the bullpen. You've had a lot of guys go on the injured list. Kendall Graveman, Will Vesson, Keenan Middleton. And you've noticed that a lot of these guys have not been the same since they've come off the injured list. Yohan Ramirez has been up and down as well. Paul Seawalls has been able to give you some solid innings. So, and then you take a look at the Blue Jays. They've had a banged up bullpen as well. Rafael Dolis, I still believe, is on the injured list as of right now. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Tim Mazza, though. Jacob Barnes is a guy that they wound up picking up. Jordan Romano has been able to give you some good innings, but it is short there. But I do think that Hunjin Ryu, with walking so few guys, is going to be able to keep that pitch count down, so he's going to be able to lend some good length in this spot. When it comes to the Mariners, I need at least a plus 188 to be able to take a look at them, and if you're taking a look at the Blue Jays on the run line, you're finding that anywhere between a even money, and you're finding that as high as a minus 110. I'm more than comfortable laying a little bit of a price here with the Toronto Blue Jays on the run line, so I'm going to wind up taking that and in this spot, I'm seeing the 9.5, so I do think that that's a tad bit high. I set this closer to 9, so I'm going to be taking this total under to go along with the Blue Jays. 919-920 on the betting board is a game that is presently off the board between the Kansas City Royals and the Boston Red Sox. Nathan Eovaldi is going to be going for the Boston Red Sox. We have no idea who's going to be going for the Kansas City Royals, which is why this is a game that is presently off the board, but I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that we're going to be making the Boston Red Sox a relatively sizable favorite, especially if it's something like Chris with a K. Boobich that winds up going for the Kansas City Royals, who wind up having a good start to the year, has really regressed ever since then, and for the Boston Red Sox, this is a team that they're in the top five in so many offensive categories right now. They've been able to do an amazing job, one through nine, of just being able to generate a whole bunch of power. You've got J.D. Martinez Xander Bogars, pair of guys hitting above a 300, pair of guys that have been able to give you at least 13 home runs. Rafael Devers is right now second in the league when it comes to RBI at 64, 19 bombs. Kike Hernandez has been able to find a little bit of something in recent days. Christian Vasquez, Hunter Renfro hitting between a 265 and a 275. And Michael Chavis is back for the team. Meanwhile, for the Kansas City Royals, it's been just tough sledding for them in general. They've been able to generate some runs in this most recent series, but they have given up now at least four runs in each out of their last eight games. So, has not necessarily been too terrific for them. Salvador Perez has been able to give you 18 home runs. He's a guy that's hitting right around 275. Whit Merrifield has had a good recent run. He hit above a 300 in the month of June. Ryan O'Hearn is hitting a 245. You've got Ed Olivares, who wound up getting recalled from the minor leagues. I don't know why he was sent to the minor leagues. I actually like him. He and Nancy Roberto hitting between a 260 and a 270. So, got a little bit of something going on there. But with the Kansas City Royals, this is a bullpen that has been used heavily throughout this entire series. You're probably going to need to look to Carlos Hernandez for a couple innings. That is not necessarily ideal. And for Nathan Eovaldi, he's done a, a great job of just being able to keep the ball in the yard in general, both home and road. He has given up four home runs at 90 and two-thirds innings and only 19 walks. So, has been pinpoint there. He was getting a little bit unlucky at the beginning of the year. Things have really rained in for him ever since then. So, 392 home ERA so far this year. Opponents are hitting a 255 off of him. They've been getting lucky on balls in play, but I think that that's going to rain in. This is probably a spot in which I'm going to be setting the total. I would say 
to where I'd be taking a nine and a half or lower over a 10 or higher under and probably setting the Red Sox as a sizable favorite, but need to know about the Royals a little bit more before I wind up making anything official. So Jeff Gag in the morning, my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 for set plays there. 921, 922 on the betting board. The Minnesota Twins hit the road face off against the Chicago White Sox. Juan Carlos Rodon is going to be going for the White Sox. Jose Barrios is going to be going for the Minnesota Twins. The Twins are finding themselves as an underdog here. Anywhere between plus 115 and plus 125. White Sox are anywhere between minus 133 and minus 135. 8-8.5 is your total. On the 8, overs minus 120. The under is even. On the 8.5, under is minus 110 to minus 120. The overs anywhere between even and minus 110. For Rodon, he has been able to do an amazing job all year long, both home and road. He's got an ERA that is a sub-2-2, so he has certainly been able to get the job done no matter where he's been at. The strikeouts have been incredible as well. 78 and two-thirds innings, 113 strikeouts. He's given up right around .8 home runs per nine innings, and the big knock for Jose Barrios has always been the fact that he performs worse on the road than he does at home. He's actually got a better road ERA than he does a home ERA so far this year. Given up one home run and 2.3 walks per nine innings. He's been able to do a good job of being able to get swings and misses. I do like the way that Barrios has been able to perform all year long, giving up three runs or fewer in now five out of his last six starts as well, so he has been able to do a solid job, but for the Minnesota Twins, this is a bullpen that can be a little bit suspect. Ore Alcala, not great, not terrible. Same with Ty Duffy, Griffin Jacks, whatever you need him. Boy, that is not good. And so Robles, Taylor Rogers, these guys have relatively solid ERAs, but Robles has been showing some chinks in the armor recently. You've got Caleb Theobar, who has been able to give you a little bit of something, and for the White Sox, Liam Hendricks has been able to do a very solid job of being able to give this team some saves, but Garrett Crochet seems to have a case of the yips or something. He has been getting lit up recently. It has not necessarily been the world's greatest year for Evan Marshall, who is now on the injured list. Matt Foster has a bad ERA, but you have been able to get a little bit of something out of Ryan Burr, who ever since he came off the injured list has yet to give up a run, and then you take a look at the Chicago White Sox. No doubt this is a banged up lineup, but you still have quite a few guys who are getting on base for you. Tim Anderson is hitting right around a 295 year Mercedes, a 275 along with Yoel Moncada, and for Moncada, right around a 400 on base, Jose Abreu, 53 RBI, but you are having to rely upon some new guys. They wind up trotting out their Gavin Sheets yesterday, which is not ideal, and for the Minnesota Twins, Luis Arias is back. He's hitting in the pocket of about a 290 for the team. Nelson Cruz hit above a 330 for the month of June. He's got 17 home runs. He looks to be back to his old form. Josh Donaldson, he had a very emphatic home run a few days ago against this bunch, so that should be a lot of fun. Nick Gordon has been able to do a solid job out there in center field. Alex Kurloff, Trevor Larnish, both hitting between a 250 and a 260 pair of guys that I do feel bullish on for the Minnesota Twins, but I do take a look at this spot. I do think that Carlos Rodon is just a little bit better than Jose Barrios in this spot. Barrios, as I mentioned, has always had his road struggles, so that's something that does concern me, was willing to take up to a minus 133 with the White Sox, so we're going to be riding with them because we were barely able to get that minus 133 and with this total, I set it at 6.9, so we're diving under along with the White Sox. 923, 924 on the betting board, the Oakland A's are going to be playing those to the Texas Rangers. Dane Gitter Dunning is going to be going for the Rangers. Chaminet is going to be on the bump for the Oakland A's. A's are finding themselves anywhere between minus 164 and minus 170 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the plus price here with Texas, you're going to be finding them anywhere between a plus 148 and a plus 155. Your tallest game is anywhere between a 7.5 and an 8. On the 7.5, over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. On the 8, under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 110. And for Dane Gitter Dunning, he has been able to get her done at home. On the road, it certainly has not been the case. As he's got an ERA that's over double, and I think it might be approaching right around triple what it is at home. For Dane Dunning overall for the year, 3-6 record, 4.63 ERA. But you take a look at him on the road so far this year. 7.45 ERA, 0-4 record in seven starts. Giving up four home runs at 29 innings, which is not too bad, but opponents hitting at 331 off of him. His strikeouts per nine just completely plummet as well. It's not been good there. Meanwhile, for Shamanea, 
the team has lost each out of his last two starts, but in his previous 13 starts, they went 11-2 and two in those. And the only reason why they've lost each out of his last two starts is that they've given him a combined one run of support. So, Mane has been in very good form all year long. He's getting right in the neighborhood of about 9.4 strikeouts per nine, and he's giving up .8 home runs per nine. So, he's been able to do a great job there. And you take a look at Mane at home. He's got right around 282 ERA. He has been able to do a great job of being rated in. And the bullpen of the Oakland A's is very good, as you've got J.B. Wendelkin now back and fold off of the injured list. You've been able to get some good innings out of Jake Diekman, Birch Smith, even Sergio Romo has been able to give you a little bit of something recently. And then you take a look at the Texas Rangers. John King has been very good out of the bullpen for the team. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Ian Kennedy, Josh Shorbish. Still not a guy that I necessarily trust, and he's got a right around a 5-ish ERA. But you take a look at this Rangers lineup, and you just don't know what you're going to be able to get night in and night out. Adolius Garcia has 20 home runs so far this year, but most of those came early. Joey Gallo has actually been on a home run binge going into yesterday. This is a gentleman that he had five home runs in the team's last three games, nine RBIs. So he has really been able to do the job. 230 batting average. We're right around a 375 on base. And got a lot of guys on this team that are hitting in that pocket of like a 230 to a 240. Jose Trevino, Jonah Heim, Nick Solak. They're all in that pocket. Brock Holt is somewhere in that neighborhood as well. Isaiah Canair Falefa. He's very versatile out there in the field. 270 batting average. He's been able to do a relatively solid job in them for the Oakland A's. How about Matt Olson? 292 batting average. He's been able to give this team 20 home runs. Matt Chapman, I believe, entered into yesterday with a 16 or 17 game hitting streak. He's been able to catch a little bit of fire for the team. Judd Lowry, Ramon Laureano, both hitting a 250 for the team. And for Laureano, 13 home runs. He's got a good on base as well. So I do like what you're getting there with the Oakland A's. They should be a sizable favorite here because with Dane. Dunning. He's someone that you're able to trust in at home. On the road, no bueno. I'm taking a look at the run line of the Oakland A's. Finding it anywhere between a plus 110 and a plus 120, I was willing to lay a small price with the A's run line, so I'm going to be taking a look at that, and I also set this all at 8.7 with Dunning's road struggles, so we're going to be going over along with that A's run line. And wrap things up with 925-926 on the betting board. The Cleveland Indians play OC Houston Astros. Framber Valdez is going to be going for the Astros. John Carlos Mejia is on the bump for the Indians, who are finding themselves as sizable underdogs here, and we're between plus 154 and plus 161. If you're taking a look at the Strohs, that is anywhere between minus 164 and minus 182. So, wide variety of prices there. The total on this game is 9 over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And for the Houston Astros, this team is leading the big leagues with regards to runs per game. I had actually a really bad series out there with the Baltimore Orioles, but I do think that they're going to be able to pick it up. I think that that was a little bit of a lack of focus more than anything else. They are currently without Alex Bregman, but you've still got all these guys that are hitting for at least a 280, and other than Michael Brantley, all these guys have a double-digit amount of formers. Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, Jordan Alvarez, Carlos Correa, and then you've got Yoli Gurriel with Kyle Tucker hitting currently at 265 with 13 home runs. Miles Straw has been able to do 270 for this team, so they've been able to do a great job now. The bullpen of the Astros, not necessarily strong. Ryan Presley has been able to give you some good innings, but Brooks Raley, not a guy that I trust in Andre Scrub. He does a good job of being able to get out of jams, but he just issues too many walks. They're relying upon Ryan Hartman now for some innings. Ralph Garza, who tore it up at the minor leagues, has been able to give you a little bit of something as well. And then you take a look at the Cleveland Indians. James Karen, Chuck Emanuel, Clay, they have been lights out of the bullpen. Now, Nick Wickren has not necessarily been too good out of the bullpen so far this year. That certainly has been a little bit of an issue for this team, but you still take a look at a guy like a Brian Shaw that's been relatively solid. And for the Cleveland Indians, this is a team that has been able to do a much better job on offense recently. Now, they wound up having that awkward series against the Detroit Tigers in which you wound up having a rain out. You wound up having things just be herky-jerky yesterday with regards to that as well. So that's something that is 
obviously something that you want to be taking a look at, but when you take a look at this Indian team, you have been able to get Jose Ramirez going, going into yesterday, 17 home runs, hitting right around a 265. Josh Naylor is hitting at 250. You have been able to get a little bit of something out of Carlos Hernandez with regards to power, though. His on-base is not necessarily too terrific. Eddie Rosario and Bobby Bradley in between a 250 and a 260 as well, so I do take a look at this spot, and I've got to be trusting in Framber Valdez, because he has been absolutely amazing in his starts all year long. He's a guy that has right around a 2-ish ERA, even a little bit lower than that. He's been able to provide good innings ever since coming off the injured list, and for John Carlos Mejia, you just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him night in and night out. Currently rocking out 494 ERA after. In his last start, he actually looked very solid, giving up one run in six innings against the Minnesota Twins, but he has been all over the place with that. He has only given up two home runs in 23 and two-thirds innings, but a small sample size there. I do think that he's going to give up a little bit of hard contact, and for Framber Valdez, nine walks in 38 and a third innings, 211 ERA, four home runs. He does a good job of performing both at home and on the road, so this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the Astros on the run line. If you're taking a look at their run line price right now, I am finding that right around a minus 110 to a minus 115, just barely a take there. And when it comes to this total, this is a little bit intriguing as well because you do have a high-powered offense with the Houston Astros, but at the same time, you do also have a very good pitcher in Framber Valdez who's going to be going as well that I think is going to shut down the Indians, set this hole at 8.3, so we're diving under along with that Houston Astros run line. And now we're at things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this most wonderful Thursday. A big thanks to Sharky Waters Nation for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have any questions for this podcast, you've got one or two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, the letters EM, they mean does not matter. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you, into there. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means I'm coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. <laughs>